Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter, and today I have a solo episode for you with the topic of cold weather running. I just recently got back from a trip over the holidays visiting some friends and family in the Midwest where I grew up, and we got hit with some brutal winter temps, and that got me to thinking there's a lot of people who are in a situation where their training requires them to be out in that on a more regular basis, and I wanted to outline some of the tips and tricks that I've used in the past for running in cold weather, Some outline some things to maybe be concerned about when you're going to be doing these things so that you're properly prepared and share some stories about some of the coldest days I ran and some things that I found interesting while looking into cold weather running or even just outdoor activities in the frigid temperatures. Before we get rolling, though, just a couple quick announcements before we end the year. One is if you want to support the podcast and get access to ad-free audio versions of the podcast episodes and also early release, you can head over to the show Patreon page to do that. You can access the show Patreon page through the show website landing page, which is just zachbitter.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you want to support the show in other ways, there's some options on that same landing page as well. If you're not into the Patreon side of things. Also, if you simply want to help me grow the show, liking, subscribing, and sharing episodes with your friends, family members, and followers goes a long way to help me uh, continue to grow and produce more episodes in the future. If you are interested in meeting up and are in the Austin area or visiting the Austin area, we are going to we are going to continue the Outliers ATX group run on Sunday mornings. We have two start options at 8 a.m. and a 9 a.m. at the moment. The 8 a.m. tends to be a smaller group and the 9 a.m. tends to be a little bit of a bigger uh, group. We have different distance options. You can come to them both. A fun group of people. I love going there on the weekends on Sunday to, to hang out. And if you happen to be in the area, swing on by. We meet at Mets Park. If you want specific details about whether we're meeting or not, uh, during holidays and things like that, as well as just other updates, head over to Outliers ATX on Instagram for updated information about that. Also, if you are interested in coaching services, I have a variety of options from pre-made plans all the way up to direct one-on-one support where I'll work with you as frequently as a day-to-day contact setup. You can find info on that by heading over to my website at zachbitter.com. From there, you can see my pre-made plans as well as my one-on-one coaching service options. If you're planning to target something this year, you want to work with me, love to have you on board. Finally, if one of the show's sponsors happens to have a product you'd like to check out, you can help support the show by letting them know that you found out about them through here. The options for all the show sponsors can be found at zachbetter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. And for specific episode sponsors, you'll also have details in the show notes for discounts and other information. This episode sponsors include Bioptimizers and Bond Charge. All right, let's talk a bit about magnesium. Magnesium is abundant in things like green leafy vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, and whole grains. Magnesium is also an antagonist of calcium in the body and is required for vitamin D synthesis and activation. As such, magnesium deficiency can inhibit the potential benefits of things like vitamin D supplementation. 
If your way of eating does not include many magnesium rich foods, or you have these but still experience low levels of magnesium, you might want to consider Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough. Supplementing with magnesium can have its downsides, one of which can be a laxative effect, which could just exasperate the problem that you're trying to solve. Magnesium Breakthrough is my favorite magnesium product that I recommend, partly because of its full-spectrum magnesium supplement with seven unique forms of magnesium that your body can actually absorb. Magnesium Breakthrough has also updated their magnesium supplement to include cofactors like B6 and manganese to help with the absorption of the magnesium. This now comes along with their seven unique forms of organic full-spectrum magnesium. This can help with things like sleep improvement, stress reduction, and a sense of calm. If you need to add extra magnesium into your diet, simply take two capsules before you go to bed and see what happens. Bioptimizers continues to offer their impressive 365-day money-back guarantee, so you can test it out risk-free. If interested, let them know that HPO sent you by going to bioptimizers.com forward slash human. And don't forget to use the promo code human, that's H-U-M-A-N, for 10% off your next order. Boncharge is a holistic wellness brand with a range of products that help you navigate the modern environment in a better way. They focus on things like circadian rhythm and optimal sleep routines. I've been using two of their products. These include their 100% blackout sleep masks and their blue light blocking glasses. Good sleep hygiene like a cool temperature environment, pitch black darkness, and a quiet environment can go a long way to help you stay asleep and maximize your nighttime rest. So personally, I like a consistent routine I can replicate whether I am at home or traveling. Being able to replicate my routine as close as possible makes it easier to consistently get a good night's sleep regardless of whether I am home or traveling. I use the Bond Charge sleep mask to make sure I have the same 100% blackout regardless if I am at home or traveling. The material on the Bond Charge sleep mask is comfortable, adjustable, and allows me to sleep on my back or sides without discomfort. The soft padded eye cups allow you to open your eyes while wearing the mask. I also spend a lot of time every day staring at computer screens, phones, and tablets while recording, editing podcasts, answering emails, and writing my coaching plans. I use the Bond Charge blue light blocking glasses while trying to stay an arm's width away from the screen when possible and refocusing my eyesight every 20 minutes. This helps minimize discomfort from blue light and glare from staring at screens all day. If you want to check out either of these products and the rest of the things that Bond Charge has on their website, you can go to bondcharge.com forward slash HPO and use coupon code HPO to save 20% off your order. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E dot com forward slash HPO and use coupon code HPO to save 20% off your order. Bond Charge ships worldwide in rapid time and has easy return and exchanges if you are not satisfied. Cold weather running was something that I personally had to get used to when I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, my family still lives in the Midwest. I was there pretty much the first 28 years of my life. My family lived in Minnesota, Nebraska, and Wisconsin throughout my upbringing. And then I stayed in Wisconsin through the first decade of my adult life before moving out West and then ultimately Arizona and now Austin, Texas. So I have plenty of running experience from that time being in the Midwest. 
Uh, it's where I learned to run. And I began running year round my senior year in high school. So a lot of that time was spent running outside, although I did do some indoor running from time to time when I had access to facilities that were conducive to that. But during this last week, Nicole and I went home to visit friends and family in the Midwest. And during that trip, there was a cold weather system that moved through the entire country and the specific temperatures that it dipped to where we were at were as bad as 47 degrees below zero wind chill. So obviously that presents a lot of issues that you're going to have to deal with if you're going to go out in there in general, much less do a run. So I'm just going to go over some of the things that uh, I like to think about or consider when deciding whether to go out for a run in the cold weather and then how to prepare for it if you do as well as share just a couple of stories that kind of I have based on cold weather running myself and all the ones I've seen and possibly highlight some things that you definitely want to be aware of if you're going to try to go and deal with those sort of temperatures. So let's jump into this. I remember when I first got into running and was starting to run outside in colder weather, I was also kind of loosely following this event called the Iditarod. It's a dog sled race up in Alaska that's over a thousand miles long. And, you know, obviously they're getting some terribly cold weather. And when you think of just like the act of dog sledding, you know, you're on this sled and behind the dog being pulling the sled. So you're exposed. You're not really moving the way you would if you're running. So generating body heat and things like that is just, you know, a whole nother challenge. I remember reading this story about one of the mushers named uh, Doug Swingley. And I believe this has happened to multiple mushers. I know uh, a big, I think Paul Eller Ellering also had this happen where, they had a situation where their goggles were malfunctioned, or I think in Doug's situation, he lifted them up because they were fogging up and actually had their retinas freeze. And I think the weird thing about that sort of situation is apparently when this happens, it's not something that you really notice right out front. It's not something that's like it hurts immediately. So you quickly course correct. It's something where it happens, you probably lose vision. And then uh, in at least, you know, the eye that is frozen or retina that's frozen, and then the real pain kind of comes when you start uh, thawing that out. So you definitely don't want to have this happen. I'm thankfully I've never had anything. I don't think even close to this occurring to me personally, but these are the type of things you got to consider when you're heading out into these like frigid temperatures and making sure you're prepared and have a plan and a strategy that's going to help you really be in the best position to not regret that decision that you, you did to go outside. So um, some of the things that I've I remember distinctly about training in the winter in the Midwest was one winter I was living in Madison, Wisconsin at the time. It was the winter of 2013, 14. And there was just a bunch of cities in Wisconsin that broke records for consecutive days below zero, meaning it dipped below zero at one point or time during that day. And that particular time in my life, I was teaching. So I would wake up early in the morning before school, usually around like 430 and I would do a huge chunk of my running, sometimes up to two hours before work. And I had a running streak going at the time as I was preparing for an event that year in 2014 that had me doing quite a bit of volume. So I was routinely doing like 90 minutes to two hours of running in the morning from like 4.30 to 6.30, which during the winter months is the coldest part of the day because that's going to be right before the sun starts to kind of come up. And I remember when those records started popping up in terms of like cities getting close to them, I remember thinking to myself like, you know what, I've been running the coldest part of the day consecutively. So whatever this record happens to be, I'm going to have been in it. And it got me kind of just thinking about 
cold weather running in general, but my general protocol with that at the time was essentially, I got my gear set up to the point where I knew I was going to be, you know, pretty comfortable from just a warmth standpoint, uh, on just a typical cold winter day. And then from there, I would just usually adjust based on wind chill. So when the wind isn't there, you kind of have a standard setup that works pretty well. When the wind starts to pick up, it starts to make that more complicated. You have to add different layers and protect yourself so that that wind doesn't kind of just cut right through whatever you're wearing, or essentially in some cases, like disperse your body heat more. So you don't feel like, you know, it's sort of, I would say it's kind of similar to, uh, getting in cold water when the wind picks up, it just feels like your body heat is escaping you versus kind of lingering around. And that's just kind of a bone chilling type of experience if you're not prepared for it. So during that winter, I distinctly remember I'd wake up, hardly pay attention to the actual temperature itself because I just knew it was going to be cold and I had my kind of base set up. And from there, I decided what layers to put on top of it in terms to deal with wind. So if it was a day where it was like, you know, 20 mile an hour winds or something like that, you know, that just meant like a, you know, a shell, a shell layer over what I normally would wear to kind of block some of that or keep that from, uh, kind of pushing through my running clothes and, and, and getting, getting really cold. And also, you know, just trapping body heat more or less too. You get some of these outerwear things that are outerwear gear pieces that are going to be a little better at trapping heat versus releasing heat. And in a lot of cases with running gear, you want the heat to release to some degree, but in temperatures like that, it's, uh, it's more about just staying warm than it is anything. And we'll get into kind of goals of runs in this as well. So in case you're curious about like how you would even begin to kind of strategize around that, um, a couple other interesting ones is I do remember when I was in college, actually, there was a day where it got really cold. I think it was like 44 below zero wind chill and our cross country team would do long runs on Sunday. And we were typically doing by the time I was a junior senior, like 15, maybe 18 mile long runs. And we had a 15 mile long run that day and we were deciding what to do. And we had a bunch of routes. We typically do these on we decided to go outside, but we knew better than probably to do like a long out and back or something that would potentially get us far away from safety and have an issue come up. So we had this one mile loop around campus that we called dormies because we kind of go around the dorms that were on campus. And it was right at the start entrance to the indoor gym. So we just decided to do 15 dormies so that every time we went finished one, if something was not going well, you could bail out and go and warm up. And you always kind of had that out. And we accomplished it and uh, got quite cold, obviously, but uh, it was quite an experience. I do remember my biggest issue from that run was my thumbs. My thumbs got colder than anything else. And it did take a while for me to kind of get that feeling back in there, which um, is something you want to think about. And I'll talk about a bit too, is just, you know, what areas tend to get hit the hardest when, or, or show up first when it gets cold outside like that. Uh Another really kind of crazy cold day was when I was living in Madison. I believe it in the winter of 2014, it got to, we had a day where it was 50 below wind chill and I did run outside that day, but I did it in a manner that was likely kind of made that seem a little worse than it actually was. I had access to the indoor track at UW Madison that winter. So I actually ran to the track with the wind kind of behind or partially behind me 
did a workout at the indoor track and then got a ride back. So I never had to run directly into the wind on that day. So that was maybe a little bit of an artificial setup in terms of uh, how bad it actually was for me on that day, particularly, but had I decided to run back or at any, at any capacity into that wind, that would have made that infinitely more difficult to handle. And it would have required a different setup and probably a different set of concerns in terms of what it could potentially do from a damage standpoint. Um, I lived in Marinette, Wisconsin for a couple of years too, which is the furthest North in Wisconsin I lived is actually runs right up to the southernmost portion of the upper peninsula in Michigan, which kind of dips down uh, sort of into the state of Wisconsin. So there were some winter days. I didn't really track anything too specifically uh, in terms of exact temperatures, but I had to have seen some really cold days being just from the location of where that is and the nature of running outside again before school started during those two years as well. Um, so it was kind of like where, where I'm coming from in terms of experiences and outdoor running in the winter and things like that. Uh, some things to be concerned about or to think about when you're planning these outings and deciding whether you want to head out into this winter weather is obviously the one that kind of stands out to people is like frostbite or just getting really, really cold and the kind of ramifications of that, or, you know, possibly if you followed the Iditarod or have looked into this before, like something like frozen retinas and like areas that are maybe a little more vulnerable, like, like eyes and stuff like that, that you want to make sure you're protecting. These are the ones that kind of stand out in my opinion. Uh, there are others though, that you should be considering too, that are maybe not even as apparent and in, in the actual temperature itself to people at first glance, which is just respiratory system issues. Um, you can actually do some short and long-term damage from breathing in cold air. Now, a lot of this has to do with the, just the dry nature of cold air, since once it starts getting to a certain temperature, the air sort of just has to be dry. So when you get into these really cold, like sub-zero type temperatures, there's really no way around that air also being dry. And that dry air can make these things much worse. So extreme cold air often means dry air, which just exasperates some sort of like respiratory system type issues. So the general rule of thumb from the research that we do have to date would suggest that when you start to get temps of around five degrees Fahrenheit or 15 degrees below Celsius, precautions should be taken in terms of like kind of protecting the way you're breathing in air when you're out there in these cold temperatures. It's probably a wise rule in general, just to be thinking like I need to be preparing quite differently in these temperatures anyway, because that's just cold enough where if you're planning on going out in that, you're going to want to be prepared and you're going to want thinking about uh, things ahead of time. This isn't the type of run where you can sort of just say like, well, I'm going to go out and then I'll figure it out as I go type of a situation. Cause when things go wrong in that sort of temperature, it can go wrong very quickly. Um, so essentially what you're dealing here with these respiratory systems is you have a heightened risk for airway inflammation and that limits airflow. So it can be something that happens over a lifetime. It doesn't, it's not something that necessarily is going to be like you go out once you breathe in a bunch of cold air. Now you all of a sudden have this, uh, you have this respiratory system issue. Uh, you can have these acute issues occur, but more often than not, what you're looking at is like just kind of just hitting that type of a system over and over again and having some damage occur over time versus like even any one season or one single run. So exercise induced issues like this are called exercise induced bronchial construction. 
it like the immediate signs of overexposure like this can be things like wheezing and coughing post exercise. So if you notice that like you went out for a cold weather run and afterwards you kind of have a like a dry scratchy throat and you're kind of coughing and wheezing a lot, it can be a sign that you you stress that a little bit and that you likely may want to consider either avoiding those type of scenarios altogether or coming up with a better system to put in place when you are heading out into those type of conditions. So let's jump in to uh, some of the stuff that I like to do for this or some tips in terms of kind of preparing for these type of conditions. Uh, first is gear, which is, I think, the obvious one. Uh, the things that I first really notice kind of going uh, going poorly here or that show up first, so signs that you can maybe start looking for, is like face, hands, and feet. These areas tend to get cold a little bit quicker from my experience. So if you notice like, okay, your fingers are starting to get cold, your toes are starting to get cold, your nose is starting to get cold, that's a sign that you're probably like, you know, heading into an unsustainable setup, or you need to adjust things in order to kind of make it a comfortable run from a temperature standpoint or a reasonably comfortable run from a weather standpoint and uh, protect those areas maybe a little bit differently than you would others. Um, I like to go with multiple layers, but I have different types of like fabrics within that. So I like to do, first of all, when you're getting temperatures into the single digits or below zero, like you're looking at a situation where you're going to want more than one pair of socks on. If you have a pair of shoes that breathes less, uh, granted running shoes tend to breathe quite well because they're, you know, you want a lot of that heat to escape in most cases. So running shoes in general tend to be very poor shoes for keeping feet warm, especially when standing still. Now, the nice thing about feet and toes is since you're running, you do tend to kind of generate a little more heat and warmth from that movement that they're going to get. Uh, so they may be a little less exposed than say fingers. Uh, but you still oftentimes will want to have, uh, you know, a couple pairs, maybe even three pairs of socks on. I think I've, I've done three pairs of socks in the past. What I really like for this is I'll get like a really long pair of socks that goes like mostly all the way up my calf muscle. And then I'll have like another pair of socks. That's maybe mid height, uh, kind of the top of the ankle. And then like a shorter one that I can just put over so that I'm kind of layering it down as I put another one on. It's also a situation where like, because of that sock setup, you're going to crowd out some of your shoe more. So if you're running in cold weather, often in the winter, having a pair of shoes, that's a half or full size bigger can sometimes be a benefit for that. So it doesn't feel like you're wearing a pair of shoes that are too small. And then, like I said, if you do have a pair of running shoes that tends to breathe a little bit less than your standard one, that may be a good opportunity to use those during that time of year versus what you would typically use otherwise. Um, then I like to put like a base layer on that kind of is moisture wicking. And the reason for this is oftentimes these really cold days come with a wind component and that's why they're so difficult to deal with. So you have this like dueling situation going on where you are running with the wind and you might feel very comfortable. In fact, you might start to sweat, especially if you're wearing enough gear to protect you from the alternative of running into the wind. And then you have a situation where now you turn back into the wind and you have to deal with this heightened cold exposure but you're also a little damp because of all the clothes you had on at first. So for this, I like to have some sort of moisture wicking base layer so that if I do sweat a little bit, it's getting pulled away from me versus kind of lingering on my skin and creating an environment, which when I do turn into the wind, I get really cold. Uh, on top of that, I'm just going to start layering from there. So uh, oftentimes this means just like another layer of just kind of like a long sleeve shirt 
Um, sometimes I'll put arm sleeves on too, cause those can be moisture wicking as well. And then I have, you know, a moisture wicking layer, uh, actual moisture wicking layer kind of on my forearms and bicep area and elbow area. And, uh, then that long sleeve over that. And then ultimately I'm going to have some sort of jacket and pants that is going to offer a wind resistant layer or something that's going to be less penetratable by, by airflow. And that, what that's going to do is like what I was saying before is it's going to help block the wind, but also help trap some of the heat that's coming off my body in like almost a shell. You're sort of creating what I call like almost like an igloo around yourself to a degree where you're staying warmer inside that than, than the outside air is, uh, is, is sitting at next is kind of like your head and neck. So one time I, one thing I think I think people usually make mistakes on is both kind of like face around like their breathing, which we'll talk about. And I alluded to with like the respiratory stuff and then other things like ears, nose, neck area, stuff like that. I think people intuitively think I gotta have a hat on. I probably need to have some sort of uh, coverage for my ears and things like that, but sometimes it's not enough. And oftentimes it leaves things like your nose exposed or areas of your neck slightly exposed where even though you have enough layers on, it's not set up in a way where you're actually covering all your skin in a way. So what I like to do is I'll put like a neck buff on just to make sure my neck has an extra layer covered. And then I tuck that thing into the collar of my shirt. And I also, whatever outer layer jacket I have on, I'm going to try to find something that has like a zip up collar. So that collar also goes significantly past that buff. So there is just really no way I'm going to have like a situation where part of my neck becomes exposed to the outer, the outer elements in a way where it can, which it can get like frostbite or overexposure to that. Um, from there, then I'll usually put on a, a full face mask and that full face mask is going to kind of cover like the sides of my face, give me something I can pull up above my nose if I need to, and have the top part actually come down over my eyebrows. So that really the only thing showing is like a real thin sliver of where my eyes will will come out from there. I'll put another hat on top of that usually. And then if that outer layer jacket has a hood on it, that can be a really nice way to protect yourself from the, from the wind hitting your, 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 the top half of your, your, your head essentially, and trap some of that heat, trap some of that heat in there. And really this is where it becomes important because of the, the, the breathing into the cold, dry air that I talked about before. If you have that face mask and then the buff underneath, which you can also raise up above your nose and create an additional layer, a lot of times what happens in this cold weather is as you're breathing out, the moisture from your mouth is hitting that layer. And if it's cold enough, that moisture gets to the outer part of that and it starts to freeze over. You'll see this in pictures oftentimes when people are running in cold weather, they'll have something covering their face and it'll look like there's like a shield of ice or snow collected on that outer uh, face mask or buff area. This is great because this literally is kind of like an igloo where you create like a shell on the outside that is uh, protecting you from like the, the air kind of coming in and hitting and also protecting the warm air you're breathing out from escaping as quickly. And it also creates an environment where moisture is getting trapped in there. So you have a little bit of a situation where you're combating both the coldness of the air temperature as well as the dryness with that sort of shell that is frozen outside your face on your buffer face mask. The final thing with hands and fingers that I always try to think about too is mittens are far superior to gloves in this situation. Gloves give you the separation of your fingers, which can be nice if you have to like do fine motor skill things like tie your shoes and stuff like that. 
But when it comes to warmth, you want those fingers to be touching one another. So getting a nice thick pair of mittens to put over your hands is going to be the way to go. And if you need to put multiple layers of that on, you certainly can do that. And if you're in a pinch, if it gets really cold out and you have like, say one pair of mittens, and you're like, I think I might need a little more. You can put a pair of socks over your hands, then put that bigger pair of mittens over that. And you're keeping all those fingers and your thumbs together, which are just going to keep them warmer in general. You'll, you'll find this out really quickly. If you go with a pair of gloves and you notice your fingers start to get cold very quickly, it's probably, probably be the first thing on you that gets cold. And then if you pull your fingers into the main body part of that glove, you'll notice they start to get warmer uh, than they were otherwise. So I usually just on these cold weather days, just assume mittens are going to be the way to go. Get yourself a nice, good, warm pair of mittens, and you will be much more uh, happy with that setup than if you try to even get a really thick winterized pair of gloves. Another very important thing to consider when planning your cold weather running is route. So generally speaking, when it gets really cold, especially when it gets to those cold weather days that I described where it's like historic lows or like that day that Nicole and I saw where it's 47 below wind chill is not only limiting your duration out there, but also limiting how often you are heading into the wind or with the wind for that matter. Because oftentimes when you're running with the wind, that means eventually you're going to have to come back unless you're doing a point to point type of setup. So if you have that option to do a point to point setup, that would be the ideal situation so that you're never actually turning into the wind. Most people aren't probably going to have that type of a structure built into their training. So at that point, what I would like to usually do is plan short loops so that you're never heading into the wind for a long enough period of time where you're really starting to get exposed to that direct wind to your face or other areas of your body that are going to get cold quicker or potentially, uh, hit too with, with too much wind. And then you're also never running with the wind for so long that you're generating a lot of sweat above and beyond what you'd want as you turn back into it. So for example, when Nicole and I ran outside, we only went for about five miles, but what we did is we made sure we were never going into the wind for more than a few blocks at a time. So we would turn into the wind. We would hunker down, usually look down, make sure our masks were as far up as possible and then after a few blocks, we would turn out of it and then ultimately eventually turn back into it. But we would usually we'd plan our route to be short loops or a series of short loops so that we were able to avoid that altogether in terms of having long stretches of time into the wind or long stretches of time with the wind. One final piece of gear to really consider on these very cold days is some fog proof goggles. Uh, this is going to essentially eliminate any of the issues with your eyes getting hit with cold air and wind and potential retina freezing and things like that. So, you know, the easy, the easiest thing to maybe think about is like a good pair of ski goggles or something like that. And even if it's glasses versus, you know, an actual goggle that wraps around and has complete closure, that area, just having a pair of sunglasses that can have fog resistance to it is going to be better than nothing as it's going to lim it's going to minimize the direct airflow into your your eye area cuz what one thing that you'll notice if you get out in these really cold weather and you do have wind hitting coming directly towards you even if you have a setup like I've described and you just have a very very thin opening for your eyes is you kind of have to look down in order to kind of keep that from becoming a problem and it puts you in a situation where it's difficult to really see well as to what's in front of you and creates hazards that are kind of unnecessary when you have something like goggles on that can 
allow you to look straight into the to the direction you're going and still kind of avoid that wind hitting your face. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that this episode's sponsors include Bond Charge and their sleep mask and blue block glasses, as well as Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough Supplement. You can find links and discounts to that in the show notes and at zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. These aren't the times to go out and try to do your short intervals, long intervals, tempo runs, or even your moderate pace stuff. Think mostly like zone one type efforts in these type of conditions. And that's going to like minimize a lot of the respiratory type risk potentials. And it's, it's also going to put you in a position where you don't have to like really beat yourself up over the fact that it's almost impossible to do those type of things in this type of temperature anyway, because just thinking about the amount of gear I just described, um, you're not in a great position to be able to like really run fast. It's almost a limiter in and of itself to some degree. On top of that, you add like, you know, slippery surfaces and things that you're going to typically deal with over the course of running in those type of temperatures. Um, you just put yourself in a situation from a planning standpoint, planning above like a zone one easy run is just not very wise. Uh, it's also, I think, a good sign of like when you're running in winter climates, if you live in these, having access to a way to train indoors is a huge tool if you can do it. Um, this is where I would move like almost all of my speed work onto a treadmill, or if you have access to an indoor track. Personally, I prefer doing speed works on treadmills over just longer runs on treadmills and lower intensity stuff on treadmills because speed work tends to be in my training interval based. And that interval based structure creates an environment in which I'm constantly changing things. So let's say, for example, I'm doing three by eight minutes long intervals. I'm doing an eight minute stretch before I switch to a different pace for four minutes to recover, then another eight minute stretch, then a four minute. And then I'm kind of having that all sandwiched in between a warm up and cool down. So I'm really never running a specific pace and getting bored with it for any too long period of time. And it just helps me get through that workout a little better. So when I find myself training in cold weather, one thing I like to try to do is where can I find a treadmill for a couple of days so I can do some speed work and uh, not risk the cold weather and then save any of my outdoor running for those days where I'm doing easier, slower paced stuff. Uh, one other kind of just winter tip in general that I find interesting and I kind of got reminded of a little bit uh, when I was back visiting the Midwest this winter was just running on snow. We had a couple of days with some snow fell and then you, you ultimately find areas that are, you know, shoveled well versus not shoveled well, or you get a day where the snow maybe melts a little bit and you get some slushy conditions and you're running over what ultimately is very terrain. So for someone like myself, who's running a lot of road and a lot of hard surface type stuff and not getting as much variety in terms of the terrain variance, running on snow is a good way to kind of strengthen those lower leg and foot muscles that you're going to get in a similar fashion running on trail. So for those of you winter runners who are preparing for trail races and don't often get out on trails quite as often or worried that running in the winter is going to keep you off the trails, which you're ultimately going to race on in maybe the spring or summer, you can use some of those situations to kind of make what would maybe seem like a negative, like getting frustrated at that neighbor who never shovels their sidewalk and has those 
kind of frozen snow footprints in there. You know, obviously be careful running over that just like you would be running over technical terrain, but also think of it as this is an opportunity to get a little more varied terrain in my, in my running and kind of work those lower leg muscles a little differently than you would running on very dry, flat, hard surfaces. All right. That's what I've got for the winter running and cold weather side of things for this podcast episode. If you're interested in seeing uh, my cold weather setup, I do have an Instagram reel up right now, which is just at Zach Bitter. Go check that out. I've got a video of me kind of putting it all on so you can kind of see all those different layers I mentioned and uh, get an idea of kind of what I'm talking about. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Hey folks, thanks for checking out this episode of the podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners, you'll likely know I'm also a professional endurance athlete and coach. If you're looking for a little extra help with your training and programming, I do offer individualized coaching options where you can work directly with me one-on-one. I'll personalize your plan and even scale it up to email collaboration and regular consultations. You can also access either of those on their own if you just want to contact me as you're navigating your fitness journey. I also have some ready-made plans. The ready-made plans follow my coaching philosophy and they scale from five kilometers all the way up to 100 miles and come in three different levels. So whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced, I've got something for you there. And most recently, I also just added a strength athlete's guide to endurance program, which will help someone who is primarily a strength athlete who wants to either do an endurance event for the fun of it, bolster up their cardiovascular fitness, or just try something out, try something new. So those programs are built to be able to supplement a strength program so you won't have to give up on your gains in the gym while you're going after some running or endurance-related fitness goals. You can find all those things on my website at zachbitter.com. Thanks for checking out this episode.